consider providing similar training uh, to those who are running Texas elections? I would absolutely, Lalo. You know, I had the privilege of taking the training for eight different years uh, that I served on city council and as mayor of Galveston. It's vital, it's critical. So what I would also say is I had an experience um, after Hurricane Ike, after uh, losing a hard-fought state senate race, uh, where the University of Texas Regents um, fired uh, in the stroke of a pen uh, 4,000 University of Texas Medical Branch employees. This was six to eight weeks after losing everything they had in a horrible flood and hurricane. It was outrageous. Here's the thing. They did it in a illegal meeting uh, in El Paso, of all places. You can't get much farther away from Galveston than that. And what I did is I filed it under the Texas Open Meetings Act because you cannot hold a meeting in private to fire 4,000 people. It's only if the employee under consideration asks for it. So that has some uh, significance, I think, for people to understand that I'm about transparency. And as an attorney general, I will insist on that in all forms of government. Thank you. Mr. Merritt, same question. The, the goal of the Open Meetings Act, as well as the Open Records um, Act, uh, is to ensure transparency for Texans. Uh, now, the, by executive order, Governor Abbott began to set aside some of those restrictions uh, to make adjustments for uh, the realities of COVID-19. Similar to voting, we found that those, those temporary uh, restraints or those temporary modifications uh, tended to lend itself to more participation, additional access to folks who, who normally wouldn't necessarily have access to those meetings, uh, things like call-in or virtual, virtual participation. Uh, I would push to extend uh, those provisions that were suspended September 1, so just last week, uh, the executive orders that are in place were, were, were rescinded. But transparency is also uh, a major reason that I decided to run. In each case that I've been involved in, be it Botham John, today is the th three-year anniversary of the murder of Botham John in, in his apartment in Dallas, in Dallas, Texas, to Marvin Scott, my most recent case, uh, where we, we, we write for an opinion from the Attorney General's office that as civil attorneys, that we would have access to records, that we could prepare our suit, that we can provide answers to the family, and each time the Attorney General's office has denied access to that, to those, to that information, citing uh, ongoing investigative purposes. However, and this is from my, my conversations with uh, uh, Chief McGraw, Steve McGraw of the Texas uh, State Troopers, uh, it can't be that it is only necessary, it only serves an investigative purpose to withhold that information from the public when it inculpates law enforcement officers and then it's readily available when it exculpates officers. Thank you. Um, next question, uh, Mr. Merritt, this is gonna come right back to you. What in your view can the AG's office do regarding oversight of ERCOP and utility companies? And what is your position on ERCOP being exempt from open records requirements? Well, ERCOT has been, has been run in, in sort of in the true conservative Texas fashion of, of regulations be damned. Uh, we cannot continue to allow that. Uh, the Attorney General's office, under my, under my leadership, it will, have, will serve as a watchdog uh, that will ensure that the companies that we um, allow the power systems to come through are prepared for the realities of global, uh, of, of global warming and of climate change. Uh, and we also need to begin to consider 
uh, different alternatives for getting access, uh, getting Texans access to power in cases of inclement weather. Uh, Texas is, is strongly energy independent, uh, but there is a South Cross opportunity for Texas to begin to exchange power with other states, uh, as well as other inroads to uh, participate in the system uh, that, uh, that, that allows for to, uh, Texas the, the surety of having access to energy uh, when, uh, in, during times of crisis. Uh, uh, while we are proud to be Texans and uh, to be the, the energy capital, capital of the world, we cannot continue a system of unabated capitalism where um, um, corporations are allowed to run ripshot on, tech, on Texas taxpayers. Thank you. Mr. Jaworski, same question. Yes, Lalu. You know, it's incredible that it's having it both ways over at ERCOT. They're exempt from open records because they're a private nonprofit, but then they assert governmental immunity when they're sued uh, for death, uh, for wrongful death. You know, it, it's just incredible. And here's what Ken Paxton did last year, uh, September, uh, a year ago, uh, in Panda Energy. Uh, they, uh, Panda sued ERCOT for negligent misrepresentation uh, of, um, of promises that there would be a, a stream of income uh, if they just could build some uh, coal plants. Uh, they sued, uh, they won in the local court, in the district court, but they lost in the appellate court. When it got to the Texas Supreme Court, Ken Paxton filed an amicus brief. No one asked him to do it. He didn't have to do it, but he filed an amicus brief supporting ERCOT's assertion of governmental or sovereign immunity. That's a big difference between me and Mr. Paxton. I would certainly not do that. The people's lawyer would not do that. Thank you. Um, next question, and so after this, each candidate will get a chance to ask the other. So hope you have your questions prepped, gentlemen. Um, how can the AG's office help improve the criminal justice system in Texas from police standards of practice to holding DAs and police departments accountable for their actions, including in dealing with things such as prosecutorial misconduct and no-knock warrants. Lalo, I think you have it going to me, right? Yes. Okay, well, first off, it's incredible that there's not a civil rights division in the Texas Attorney General's office. There used to be, uh, and the last time there was, it was a Democrat in the office, Dan Morales, uh, uh, Mr. Merritt and I had uh, the opportunity to uh, be on a Zoom call with the Democratic Attorneys General Association, Keith Ellison, a perfect example um, of a civil rights icon uh, working as a Attorney General. And what I would say is, is that while Texas's statutes are a little differently, we can have a civil rights division in the Attorney General's office, so that's number one. Number two, Lalo, I think what you can do is be a thought leader. Uh, you know, you may not be able to pass laws like the legislature, but that didn't stop John Hill in 1972 from advocating for a criminal, no, a civil fraud statute that would later become the Deceptive Trade Practices Act. He couldn't pass it, but he argued for it as a candidate. When he won, he was the first witness in front of the uh, Senate Business and Commerce Committee. So start a civil rights division, staff it with excellent attorneys, and uh, be an advocate and start getting around the state and having meetings with law enforcement and district attorneys so that there can be criminal and social justice reform. Thank you. Mr. Merritt, same question. You know, um, over the years representing families of, of police violence in Texas, I've had an opportunity to work with uh, both prosecutors and law enforcement officials from the Texas Rangers to Texas State Troopers. 
And I, and I like to emphasize my relationship with, with uh, Chief Stephen McGraw, head of the Texas State Troopers, just because it was an unlikely relationship. We were typically at odds with each other. But as we began to talk, and we, we found common ground on raising sort of tough daughters. His daughter is a Black Hawk, Hawks operator in, in Afghanistan, or was, I should say. And my daughter is an all-star on the basketball team at nine years old. And uh, what we discovered was we didn't have that much uh, uh, that separated us. We cared about the same things. We wanted communities in Texas to be safer. And we had similar strategies. And it wasn't back to blue versus black, black lives matter. In fact, uh, Governor Greg Abbott identified uh, that there is an ongoing mental health crisis that's been exacerbated by COVID-19 and the pandemic. And that mental health crisis is not a law enforcement problem, but we've given law enforcement the only responsibility to deal with it. And they have dealt with depression rates, low retention rates, hyper suicide rates because of the overwhelming task that we've given them. And we haven't taken the time to properly invest in uh, mental health infrastructure, hiring mental health workers, developing mental health departments for major cities uh, like Bear County, where so many of our veterans suffer from PTSD uh, and are looking for opportunities to uh, become uh, meaningful members of society. Uh, we have failed uh, yeah, we failed Texas law enforcement and the people, and I think we can work closer together. Thank you. Mr. Barry, I'm coming right back to you. Your question for Mr. Jaworski. Uh, Mr. Mr. Jaworski, I know that you served as um, a mayor of Galveston uh, in, uh, during an important um, um, humanitarian crisis. Uh, can you talk to us uh, a, a bit about um, how your experience there has prepared you for um, um, what Texas is facing uh, with not only the ongoing crisis, but recovery to the pandemic. Yes, sir. Thank you for the question, Mr. Mayor. When I was mayor pro tem, before I was mayor, uh, Hurricane Rita category five was bearing down on us. And uh, Jack Colley, the Texas Department of Emergency Management icon uh, was the one guiding us. I'll never forget it. We really thought we were gonna die or have a good chance of it. So uh, the mayor and I was her assistant, the mayor pro tem, we, Put in emergency powers and so we actually were thinking about compassionate ways to exercise that power like letting people leave public housing or the island with their animals in the buses as opposed to making them have a horrible choice of leaving their their, their animals behind uh, when i was mayor of galveston rebuilding public housing uh, was a very uh, essential thing to do since housing and urban development gave us almost a billion dollars and it was important that we spend it on public housing rebuilding. Otherwise, it would be clawed back and we'd go bankrupt. Some people didn't like that, but I fought for it. It cost me my reelection, but 10 days before the runoff was concluded, I made sure we signed the notices to proceed. It's one of those do the right thing and suffer the consequences. Now, it's 100% occupied, and I'm going to be at the groundbreaking for the third neighborhood next week. Good stuff. Uh, thank you for your question, Mr. Merritt. Uh, Mr. Jaworski, your question for Mr. Merritt. Absolutely. Uh, Mr. Merritt, this is something I've struggled with, and I'd love to get your thoughts on this. You know, the state of Texas has 30 million citizens, and its government over 200 agencies, some with conflicting interests and missions. The attorney general is responsible for representing the state, but we also want to be the people's attorney. So, in your opinion, who is the AG's client, and how would you handle the routine conflicts between your duty to represent the state and your being the people's lawyer? Thank, thank you again for that question. And, 
And I certainly understand and appreciate that um, uh, state agencies and state actors don't always serve the will uh, serve the people of Texas. But each role, anybody who takes the oath of office, their their primary responsibility is to figure out how to best serve Texans. And so I don't know that there's necessarily a, a real conflict now. Has it been a conflict in actuality? Is there a conflict in, in the suits if uh, if the people of Texas have been injured by a Texas state actor? Uh, does it it gives the appearance of a conflict? But but the truth is, ultimately, our goal should be what is best for the people of Texas. And so the, the short answer to your question is, my chief client is the people of Texas, the, the people. Now it's our responsibility to ensure that the government continues to operate, uh, that, that, um, that there's a, um, a sense of knowingness, that if, if um, the government officials, if, I, if my office uh, takes on a task that, that you can stand by, it, uh, that it won't be undermined by the whim of, in, of an individual. And so my allegiance in that regard, when we, when we start talking about the specific task, is to the government function that serves the people, but ultimately that function must serve the interests of the individual Texan. Thank you. Thank you both gentlemen for uh, some great insightful questions. Uh, now back to our regularly scheduled programming. This question now goes back to you, uh, Mr. Merrick. You've referenced this uh, in some of your uh, earlier comments, you know, over Last 18 months, we've witnessed this governor increasingly amass power essentially by asserting what some call this uh, implicit omnibus authority on the emergency declaration. In some cases, usurping legislative authority, some might argue, and most recently, vetoing legislative funding. What role can the AG's office play in maintaining a check on executive authority? And what happens if in the future the governor elects to veto judicial? or AG funded? Uh, I'll, I'll start with what role I can play as Attorney General to serve as a check. Now, the, the simple role that the Attorney General will play would be to, to offer robust and legally sound memorandums of law to the governor's office, which I don't think Governor Abbott has had to deal with, or even the 87th legislator. Uh, so much of what the governor has done in his gubernatorial overreach and the legislator has done is that, as if they have uh, no, no counsel, right? No general counsel's office like we know exists within the AG's office to advise them on the parameters of the Constitution. And certainly when they're in violation of the Constitution, my office will be proactive in filing for injunctive relief, uh, relief within the courts uh, to prevent uh, the, the overreach. And I, I think a great example is here uh, near my, my, my home city um, in Dallas County where local officials have made certain decisions, and I appreciate Mr. Jaworski mentioned this earlier, uh, local officials have made certain decisions on behalf of the, of the people within their counties. And in Texas, uh, we brag about the importance of local leadership, how we don't want big government, but we want people to lead from a local level. Uh, but the governor has come in and tried, for example, to ban mass mandates in areas that where local leadership wants it, where communities want it. I will come in uh, and, and file injunctive relief on behalf and, and be an advocate, advocate for local leaders uh, as well as upfront letting them know uh, that uh, the decisions that they're making, when they're not legally sound, where, where they falter, what ways they can be improved, and forewarning them of, of, of future action. Mr. Jaworski, same question. Lalu, this is a great platform so that I can say the following. I think the best thing for Texas, if 
We're not going to get a blue wave, and hopefully we will. But even if we don't, the best thing for Texas is to have a check and balance on this GOP team. It's like a football game where there's only one team on the field. Or, or even a better metaphor would be uh, it's just a game where there's a penalty flag on every play. Uh, I, I get the feeling that there's a little hypocrisy here with the Texas GOP. You'll remember about a year ago, uh, the legislature was demanding a special session uh, so that they could check Greg Abbott's uh, unabated executive authority. Well, now that they have all these special sessions, or they have a grab me another session, bottle of water, uh, they haven't done a thing about it. And so now they're all just sort of circling the wagons so that the primary base is taken care of. If you, if you had an opportunity to read my op-ed that I published about two weeks ago, I called out Governor Abbott for abusing his executive authority under the Texas Disaster Act of 1975. Mr. Merritt just asked about the experience I had uh, as mayor pro tem mayor, but basically Mr. Abbott has a, a framework to save Texas and he's not taking action. Well, that's his call, but he can't limit others to offer aid or call to others who can give it. Next question, and I'm coming right back to you, Mr. Jaworski. Uh, we talked a little bit earlier about the role of the people's lawyer. So if we can delve a bit more specifically, uh, and I know you had some examples to share, but how can the AG's office affirm privacy protections uh, for Texans from technology companies, uh, which include but are not limited to things like smart thermostats that were alleged to have been being altered during winter storm in Uri, uh, to Alexa and other types of devices. Additionally, uh, how would you uh, or your office as AG work uh, to combat discriminatory effects of emerging technologies or uh, not even emerging, existing technologies such as artificial intelligence and AI, as well as facial recognition software, particularly within the context of law enforcement. And that's a mouthful, but I think I could do it. Well, first off, let me say social media is great. It's a global phenomenon, and in some way, it's the most harmful invention in modern history. Now, on, on discriminatory effects of AI, uh, 
it is absolutely within our rights to sue in federal court or state court if possible. Uh, but you would use such U.S. laws as the Equal Credit Opportunity Act, the Civil Rights Act, the Fair Housing Act, and the EEOC even has guidelines that we can use to alleviate the discriminatory effects of AI and facial recognition software. We've all heard the horror stories about some of the you know, Facebook uh, mistakes, and, and it's just purely racist. And of course, if it's unintentional, that's one thing. But if it's you know, intentional conduct, then obviously that would be subject to great legal, legal jeopardy, and the Attorney General is the one to bring that action. Thank you. Mr. Merritt, since it was such a mouthful, uh, we gave Mr. Jaworski 90 seconds. You have the same, because I know it's a lot, but we wanted to kind of tie it all together. Sure. You know, I, th I think the answer is, is to ask the ex experts. Um, you know, this is a rapidly evolving field, and particularly in the area of law enforcement, and it's been fairly well documented and demonstrated uh, that some of the spatial recognition software and the other software uh, being used uh, has a disproportionate impact on African-American communities or communities of color. Uh, uh, and, and it's being used as an additional mechanism of, of criminalizing these communities. However, I think there's an opportunity here, uh, and, and I'm excited about the investment of black tech and other tech uh, throughout, uh, throughout Texas. We want their presence here. Uh, we want to see that, it, we want to see that uh, of, uh, new market grow in Texas. We think it, it has a home in Texas. Texas leads the nation in all other, other areas. But we want, we want to make sure that it's rolled out in an equitable manner. I, I, I'm looking forward to working with law enforcement to find ways to use tech to limit police officer encounters, particularly in traffic stops and in, in other, uh, in other uh, situations that doesn't call for an officer to put himself in harm's way. And in these what are called routine and law enforcement officer will tell you there's no routine traffic stop. Uh, but these routine traffic stops are, are, are potentially dangerous. Uh, but it's important to protect the privacy rights of Texas. We need to follow, uh, and, and I know Texas, um, um, and particularly Texas conservatives, um, uh, hate this idea, but we need to follow the federal regulations. Uh, we need to work with other attorney generals throughout the country, and I appreciate uh, Mr. Jaworski mentioning our, our meeting with, uh, with Dad of the Democratic Association of Attorney Generals. Um, uh, we, we need to figure out what's working best in Silicon Valley, uh, who's had a chance to deal with this kind of technology. Thank, thank you, Mr. Mayor, because I'm coming right back to you. Okay. Recognizing that a change in the political party affiliation of the Attorney General's office uh, will cause a significant organization and leadership change from culture and other perspectives, but what steps would you take to ensure that the Office of the Attorney General uh, moving forward will be still capable of really representing all Texans of all legitimate political and ideological beliefs. Yeah, I think we've seen greater uh, partisanism uh, within the, the Texas Attorney General Office under, uh, under Ken Paxton, who has used, uh, abused really the Office of Texas Attorney General uh, to push forward a Trump agenda. Uh, everything from the myth of, of, of voter fraud uh, to uh, support for racist uh, immigration policies. Uh, uh, the Texas Attorney General is, is primarily a consumer protections agency, among other things. It's a wide office with over 4,000 employees. Uh, but as a consumer protector, we need to take on the property taxes in Texas uh, uh, that, that are 20% higher than the rest of the country. Uh, that's not a partisan issue. We need to take on uh, ensuring uh, uh, 
access to power through our, through our power grid system. Uh, we need to take on school funding, all of these things that will improve the lives of Texans, uh, that will focus on the consumer protections aspect of, of the position and, and that, that doesn't go down party lines. I think those should be the major issues that we address from the AG's office. Thank you. Mr. Jaworski, same question. Sure, Lalo. I mean, there's a big difference between me and Ken Paxton. He's embattled, I am not. And so what that means is I can actually go out and visit campuses without fear of being, you know, yelled at or picketed and protested. You know, he's indicted, he's investigated, uh, he is not a popular guy, but his, you know, safe place is to go on Maria Bartiromo and Fox News. Uh, this is not what the people's lawyers should be doing. He's actually, it appears, intentionally looking for ways to divide us. Uh, I like the idea, instead of starting with appointing uh, a cabinet, which he had the opportunity to do since he fired his entire cabinet, but to appoint a new cabinet that looks like the face of Texas, men and women, white and of color. And then going out and hitting the schools, the law schools, the colleges, even high schools, and really encouraging the youth to look at public service as a noble cause. That would also cause me to be out in rural Texas and urban Texas and meet people where they are and find out what they need and be able to say to them, hey folks, your attorney has arrived. Thank you. Uh, right back at you, Mr. Jaworski, to slightly change the topic, uh, what role can the AG's offense play? We've talked about consumer protection, but another element of that is when it comes to ensuring enforcement of environmental regulations and protecting vulnerable communities from the disproportionate impact of industrial pollution and climate change. Well, I'm going to give a shout out to someone who's doing it right. Uh, Christian Menefee, Harris County attorney, uh, who, by the way, was at Fulbright Jaworski uh, and then obviously was trained uh, as a great trial lawyer there. Uh, and now he's a very popular countywide elected official. And, you know, you got to be proud to see the next generation of leadership doing so well. Um, imagine if a state attorney general weren't hostile to Harris County. Now, that's a, a heck of a thought. Imagine an attorney general who would actually empower local decision-making authority. As a former mayor, that means something to me. And so um, I would actually, you know, assist, defer, whatever word you want to use, work with uh, county officials uh, to clean up the Houston Ship Channel. You know, if they didn't do it themselves, then certainly the Texas Attorney General has a storied career of um, being an environmental protection agency. Just look at John Hill uh, and, and his great uh, assistant, Attorney General Terry O'Rourke. So the AG can actually do it themselves, but why wouldn't you help local county attorneys? Mr. Merritt, same question. We have to first deal with the reality uh, that uh, one of the greatest injustices suffered uh, by marginalized communities in Texas is um, uh, environmental uh, injustice. Uh, that black and brown communities are impacted uh, by uh, waste and um, proximity to uh, power lines and things that, that, that impact community health uh, on a regular basis. We need to first deal with that reality and begin systemically addressing it with specific policies uh, geared to towards uh, uh, curing this crisis. 
Uh, we need to take global warming and climate change seriously. We need to listen to the science, uh, uh, tap into the federal um, market that's, that is taking on some of these issues and, and join the 21st century in dealing with uh, the ra uh, a rapidly, rapidly changing reality in, in, in America. You know, as a civil rights attorney, one of the first cases that I took in Texas was that of Nichols Middle School, which was a toxic school that was causing children to be sick with over 67 active complaints of people being br uh, brought out that school. And I, what I found was a, an environmental or, or a natural gas industry that would come down hard on people who were complaining about being sick as opposed to actually dealing with the issue. As, as Texas Attorney General, I would take that, that task on uh, full speed. Right back at you, Mr. Mayor. Recently at the Senate State Affairs Committee, the Attorney General's uh, Chief of the Election Integrity Unit testified that while his office enjoyed a robust working relationship with the Montgomery County District Attorney's Office, no such relationship existed with Harris County District Attorney. What steps would you take to ensure that the AG's office has a relationship with district attorney's offices across all 254 counties? Uh, particularly as it relates to uh, election integrity, as, as the question began, uh, we need a, co a cohesive plan for ensuring fair and um, um, highly participated in elections across the, across the state of Texas. And part of that is, is the second answer, part, part of your question, which is fostering relationships between um, local officials from the prosecutor's office uh, to uh, election officials through, uh, throughout the regions. You foster those relationships um, in part by what Mr. Jaworski said earlier, which is not being so embattled, not being so polarized between red or blue, left or right, uh, but being accessible. But I think it's time in Texas that we begin to set up commissions because there are certain aspects of the, the uh, Texas prosecutorial community that has failed Texas for too long. We need commissions to investigate, to research, uh, to come up with specific strategies to, to remedy these long-term ill effects. We've, been, we've begun to do that in my program, the Grassroots Law Project, project where we set up commissions with prosecutors from San Francisco, uh, Philadelphia, and Boston. I will bring something similar to the uh, Texas Attorney General's Office, these commissions designed to address long-term ills within our communities. Same question, Mr. Jaworski. Lalu, I bet he's got a good relationship with the Montgomery County DA, because you know that's where Ken Paxton uh, is prosecuting Curtis Rogers uh, for his alleged uh, uh, voter fraud. I, you know, it's just incredible that he would do that. Uh, you remember Mr. Rogers, the, the gentleman who was so proud uh, that he stood in line for you know four to six hours so that he could vote. He was he was the exact example of the sort of guy I want to protect who stands in line. Now, as it turns out, there was some snafu with his uh, you know, length of probation, and Ken Paxton just seizes on it. So, of course, he's got a relationship with Montgomery County because that's a very white county, and it would be appropriate in Ken Paxton's globe and world to prosecute a man there. It's just what they're doing with Zena Stevens, the excellent sheriff in Jefferson County, suing her for a mistake in Chambers County. So this is a, a real practice. Mr. Merritt and I would never do such a thing. We, we would have a relationship with all 254 counties. This is further evidence of Mr. Paxton's culture war, and it's got to come to an end. Right back to you, Mr. Jaworski. What oversight measures would you put in place to ensure that the billions of dollars that are coming down in federal funds from the Biden administration 
are uh, not only spent properly but well accounted for? Well, certainly the Attorney General has to be the general counsel of the state, and it would be appropriate to be involved in all the high-level meetings. I would imagine the comptroller and the governor's office uh, have a lot to say about where that money goes, but we'll remember that after Hurricane Ike, when $3 billion came to Louisiana and um, Texas from housing and urban development for three different hurricanes, Rick Perry, who was in a very hot uh, election with Bill White in 2010, was spreading that money around rural Texas where it wasn't needed instead of urban Texas. George P. Bush did the same thing after Hurricane Harvey. Uh, an aggressive and uh, timely and present attorney general would never let something like that happen. So that's why you need to be in the meetings and make sure that uh, money that's dedicated for low income needs stays in the communities where it's supposed to be. Mr. Merritt? You know, in addition to being in the meetings as uh, was laid out, it's so, it's so important uh, that we are transparent with where the money is going, that we're held accountable to the public, uh, which means we have to make that information uh, accessible uh, to the public. You know, I was raised in a, a, a cogent church, and so in a cogent church, you, you, you tend to have the, the church finance meeting where the congregation sits down and says, hey, all your tithe money, this is exactly where it's going. I think we need to set up uh, similar access, and, and, and while those exist, I think that we need to begin to use some of the things, again, that we saw a lot of, for example, the Open Records uh, or the Open Meetings Act uh, uh, adjustments for COVID-19 to make it more uh, available virtually, uh, that we set up these meetings, these budget finance meetings about Texas when federal funds come in, uh, that where the people will have a say, uh, about where that money goes, where they will get to monitor how that money is being spent in ways in which it can be spread more equitably throughout Texas. Hey, I'm going to shut this down to about 30 second responses now on just a few quick topics. Rural Texas, for years it feels like Texas Democrats have abandoned rural Texas. What would your campaign strategy be, Mr. Merritt, in engaging rural Texas on the importance of the AG's office? Well, it, it's, it's comes down to showing up. Uh, it's important. The reason that Texas, rural Texas, often feel left out because Texas is so big. And we focus on on some of the the the, the larger uh, population centers. That doesn't mean that we can't address the issues that are germane to uh, to rural Texas. That we can't address regulation of uh, of farmlands and of of of, of access to um, uh, things that they need to re to recover from. Uh, uh, changing demographics within the, the, the agricultural landscape in Texas. Mr. Jaworski? Yeah, I've visited any number of rural communities in the last year, and, and what I say is cannabis as a cash crop. Let me say that again. Cannabis as a cash crop. You'll remember that 100 years ago, if you dare to um, grow grapes and make wine, you go to prison. Well, now I would ask you to drive from Houston to Fredericksburg up, up uh, 290 and you'll see like 50 wineries. It is a cash crop, it's a tourist draw. The same can be done with cannabis. Uh, number two, we need to be an aggressive general counsel and make sure the legislature keeps fast to its promise to issue broadband all throughout rural as well as urban Texas because people need it for telemedicine and remote learning. And then finally, Medicare drawdown. You have to be an advocate for it so that we can sustain our vital network of rural hospitals. Mr. Worski, right back to you. What interactions have you and your campaign already had with disenfranchised community leaders, churches, organizations, 
and what's the diversity of the campaign team? Right. So the main part of my campaign team are two husband and wives and their wives. Uh, but every opportunity we have, we in communities are associating uh, with churches. Uh, in Tyler, Texas, uh, we worked with some great uh, African-American church community leaders. Down in the south of Texas in the Rio Grande Valley, uh, we have worked with any number of uh, local officials, all of whom are Latinos or Latinas. In fact, our political director is a Latina. Uh, we look for opportunities any chance we have. But as a white man, uh, I understand that nothing I say or do other than being a good uh, a member of a larger global community uh, is going to change things. I need to be mindful of my limitations, but also be a good listener, which as a mediator, I am trained to do. So I just want you to know that as an attorney general, I will make sure that my cabinet reflects the face of Texas and that we are constantly mindful of the shortcomings of how America <laughs> dealt with race. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Our campaign is, is what I consider a movement campaign. Our campaign is built out of a movement in Texas. Uh, of, after years of working with the Texas Organizing Project that uh, serves the needs of marginalized communities, of, after building out the Grassroots Law Project uh, that, that emphasizes in, in both uh, the, the, uh, the firm uh, aspect of the work that we do and the volunteer aspect of the work that we do, our whole goal is to build community. And our goal in running for Texas Attorney General is to put the marginalized issues on the ballot, not only the black community, and, and, and not only racial diversity, but class diversity, poverty diversity, and access to all Texans uh, to, to, to seats of power and government. Gentlemen, thank you both so very much. This has been an enlightened, uh, enlightening, insightful, engaging debate. I wish we had more time to continue on the interest of uh, the promises we kept made to both of your campaigns. I'm going to get you out of here in time. So. We're going to go with two minute closes uh, for each uh, one of you since Mr. Mayor just got done talking and he had the first question. Mr. Jaworski, you get the close first. You got it, Lalu. And it's two minutes, so and yeah, a little extra. Well, let, let me refer to you then uh, in your official capacity, Mr. Davies. Thank you so much this evening. And Chairman Robinson and the Texas Coalition of Black Democrats for producing this evening's debate between myself and my friend, Mr. Mayor. And let me say this to you, Mr. Mayor, thank you for being an advocate for positive change in Texas. And now, ladies and gentlemen, Texas voters, let me speak directly to you. We are bound together as a force for change. We are a team, you and I, we are going to win the race for the Texas Attorney General's office in 2022. My first comments at the beginning of the evening sounded pretty dark, but this is all good news, and I want you to feel hopeful. What we'll witness in the coming year on the Texas GOP side is completely different than what you witnessed with me and Mr. Merritt this because what the GOP will present to Texas voters is a masterpiece of shame, a GOP primary featuring a criminally indicted FBI and state bar investigated career office holder, an ideologue posing as a trial lawyer, who is the enemy of the people of this state. Even his GOP opponents think so. So when Ken Paxton, George Bush, and Justice Guzman collectively raise and spend $35 million cutting each other up, and Paxton emerges after a summer runoff, bloody and broke, 
he won't have sufficient time to rehabilitate his Trump-endorsed far-right message to attract anything other than his base. Meantime, your support and that of... Yo, 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 what's up? This is boy, Mickey Cartel. And you had just listened to the debate with Joe Jaworski and Attorney Lee Merritt for Attorney General 2022. I want to encourage everybody to come out to vote. I want to encourage everybody to visit the store. And if you down with my bro, Lee Merritt, we support Lee Merritt 100%. If you down with him like I'm down with him, just come over here to our side, man. Uh, we can use all the support we can get, you know. And uh, we still out here fundraising. Um, if you have any events that you will need Lee Mary to attend to, you can always hit my inbox and I'll make sure to get it to him, put it on his calendar, do whatever we got to do. Uh, we trying to get all the votes, all the people. If you rocking with us, you know what I'm saying, black, white, Latinos, everybody. You know what I'm saying? If you rocking with us, you rock with us, man. And y'all make sure y'all follow the Heart Check Store apparel, man. If y'all need t-shirts, memorabilia, anything like that, that's on Instagram, Heart Check Store. I'm Mickey Cartel, and I appreciate you guys spending the time that you spent with us. I know it was a long debate, but wasn't it informal? Did you learn anything? And y'all make sure y'all get in my, uh, follow me on Instagram at the Dead Homies Podcast, and let's talk about it. Until we meet again, I'm Mickey Cartel, and I'm out. Yo, 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 what's up, what's up, what's up? It's your boy, Mickey Cartel, and you're now tuned to another episode of the Dead Homies and Enemies podcast. And on this segment, I like to say, free Marvin Guy. I'll say it again, y'all. Free Marvin Guy. Have you guys heard the story of this guy named Russell King from Texas? He shot a state trooper. They was trying to pull him over, put the state trooper on a high-speed chase, all the way back home to his house, pulled up in his house. The uh, state trooper knocked on his door, and this man, Russell King, shot this trooper. Bye-bye. Shot him. Um, he went to trial for it and beat the case. Man who shot Texas State Trooper faces no charges. The homeowner says he had no idea he shot a state trooper when he fired through his front door. You know, kudos to this man, kudos to this man, but uh, what about Marvin Guy? Do you guys know the story of Marvin Guy? He did the same thing. Marvin Guy was to Kitlene, Texas. Um... Um, shot through his door, not knowing who was that banging at his door. They had a no-knock warrant, and it was for the wrong house. But uh, he's been sitting on death row for seven years, or shall I say prison for seven years. No trial. Denton County Grand Jury declined charging Russell King, but in Killeen, Texas, Marvin Guy has spent seven years awaiting trial from a no-knock raid, prosecutors want capital punishment. His bond is set at $4 million. You know what I mean? That's, 
And I'm calling because Marvin, somebody just sent me a message. I'm calling because Marvin Lewis guy has been incarcerated for seven years without a trial and he faces the death penalty. Police in Killeen, Texas executed a reckless no-knock raid on his home in 2014 based on the bad testimony of an informant. Police broke into his house and he responded like anyone bearing arms would to defend themselves. He did not know that police were conducting a no-knock raid because there was no reason to. He had no drugs in his home. We need Bell County District Attorney Henry Garza to drop the charges. Seven years in jail is an abomination. That's some bullshit, bruh. Listen to the story of Russell King. And then we're going to compare it to the Marvin, Marvin God story. Hey, please! crazy though man shot the police through the door man but they ain't they ain't talking about this case though they ain't talking about Russell King case because because the media don't want they don't want they don't want to talk about that uh they know when they when they giving favoritism and when they corrupt and they know man and they know that we dealing with the Marvin Guy thing they don't want to put too much attention on Russell King because we all know that that's white man's justice right there because Marvin, Marvin Guy did the same exact thing. Except Marvin Guy's victim died. I think that's the difference. The cop Marvin Guy shot died. This cop didn't die. Yeah, man, what do y'all think? I'm trying to look for the story of Marvin Guy. You know, Marvin Guy case still awaiting trial seven years later. Seven years later, still awaiting trial. In tonight's top story, a group of protesters gathered outside the Bell County Justice Center tonight to draw attention to Marvin Guy's case. Guy is accused of killing a Colleen police detective while being served a no-knock warrant back in 2014. Six News reporter Cole Johnson explains what the protesters want to see change. The time is now that we bring justice, free Marvin Guy, and we end no-knock for good. Garrett Galloway calling for justice in his brother Marvin Guy's case. Guy is accused of killing Colleen police detective Charles Dinwiddie back in 2014 while police served a no-knock warrant for his arrest. Tuesday, a small protest was held outside the Bell County Justice Center, where Galloway argued Guy was defending himself. 
I believe that Marvin was in his rights to protect his home. During the protest, Galloway explained what justice looks like in his eyes. Justice to me would be freeing him. Uh, let's get this trial moving and let's free him. Galloway mentioned other groups as part of the protest, including the Proud Boys. It's a far-right group that's gained national attention following the first presidential debate. We got the Proud Boys here, so uh, they're standing back and they're standing with us. And they're going to stand by with us. Also, the Elmer Geronimo Pratt Pistol and Rifle Club of Central Texas. According to the group's Facebook page, it's for the advocacy of black Americans exercising their Second Amendment right. Nick Bezel with the group claims some of Guy's constitutional rights were violated. Six years is not a fair speed trial by any means, which is a violation of the Sixth Amendment. For where the case stands right now, according to the court coordinator for District 27 and DA Henry Garza, there's a status hearing scheduled for December 9th. Reporting in Bell County, Cole Johnson, 6 News. And while a status hearing... Yeah, shout out to Nick Bezel. Shout out to the Harry P. Newton Gun Club. Shout out to Marvin Guy's family. Shout out to his brothers, man. Shout out to his mom, dad. Everybody out there is supporting Marvin Guy. I want you guys to continue supporting Marvin Guy. Hashtag this podcast. Um, uh, uh, free Marvin Guy. And uh, justice for Marvin Guy. And... That's what all I got to say about that, man. Uh, shout out to Nick, though. Look, look, bro, I told you, when you came at me in Killeen, Texas, and you asked us to, to uh, hook you up with uh, the Grassroots Law Project, remember your boy Mickey Cartel did that. Free Marvin Guy on my mama, dear homies.